right, how we doing? Good, good, good. Man, wasn't that awesome? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, if you have your Bibles, grab those. Matthew chapter 16, 16, 13 is where we'll start. And then we're going to just stay there for just a second. We're going to go to Hebrews 1, 1. Matthew 16, 13 to start with. We'll go to Hebrews 1, 1 shortly after uh, that. I need to address something right quick. And it's with the youth section uh, real fast. I, um, I need to... I need to apologize. Um, I think even the ones that kind of said it aren't here today, they're at a volleyball tournament in Tennessee. But um, I misspoke. I was wrong. And you're probably like, what in the world are you talking about, Scott? Um, As a speaker, you say a lot of wrong things. Or I know for me, just in general, I say a lot of dumb stuff a lot of times. Um, And so I try to be very, very guarded and careful up here. And so um, last week I said something, and I just want to say that you, youth, have done a phenomenal, phenomenal job of being aware and and hearing some things, especially what I said last week, because I believe it's a very big point. And so I I love the conversation that I had. Tyler and I went to Tennessee this past week. We took Blake with us, and we went to Tennessee Monday uh, to look at where they're going to go for their mission trip. And in that, had a very good conversation about something that I said uh, last week. Um, And so you just called me on it, and I love it. I love the fact that you listen and that you pay attention uh, to that. It shows me that you're just learning and that you're growing and that God's doing just a work in you. and also what it shows me is that your worldview, the, the way that you view this world, the way that you view creation, the way that you view who Jesus is, all of that stuff is a biblical worldview. And so to let everyone know what I said last week that was kind of boneheaded on my part, um, and, and again, I didn't mean it this way, but this is what I said. I said that I came into being on November 23rd, 1983. The problem with that is I didn't come into being on November 23rd, 1983. That's when I was born. I was conceived in, eh, the math would be more around March 1983. Um, and so I just wanted to point that out because I believe that's a big deal. I believe that's a very, very big deal. And this is why it's a big deal, because here at New Life, myself and us as the church, we believe that life starts at conception. I mean, yeah, we can amen that. That's a good thing. We, we believe that life starts at conception. And so I was conceived March 1983 born November uh, 1983. And so we believe that's just a big deal. And so I I was just looking and and researching and some of the stuff that I found this week is at conception, a new DNA strand is created that's distinct from the moms and from the dads. And so what that tells us, that's a new human life. At conception, new DNA strands from the mom and from the dad to make one to form this child. Did you know this? At eight weeks in the womb, a baby feels and reacts to pain. Eight weeks feels and reacts to pain. Stimuli, it's stimulated at eight weeks. At 12 weeks, it has all the organs necessary to support life. 12 weeks. And, and so I just, I thought that was, that was huge because we're in Sanctity of Life Month and we are helping support the CPC with those baby bottles out there. And so it's a very, very big deal. And if we're talking about God being the creator of all things, we even believe that God has his hand in the, the creation of, of life and of human life. Uh, even in the womb, you'll see the Psalms and you'll see David kind of talk about that. And so what this has done is it's allowed me to kind of uh, uh, be able to kind of coattail on that for a moment because of my stupidity or misspokenness and dumbness. Um, in that, I get the opportunity this morning to educate. I get the opportunity this morning to preach to myself uh, this past week and, and look at it. And so I want to be very, very gentle here. Uh, because the reality is this, this could be truth for somebody in this place this morning. This could be a, a difficult morning for you because just we believe that abortion is murder. And so here in our church, there may be those who have had an abortion or participated in an abortion. And, and I want to say that to say this because abortion is no different than lying, no different than stealing, 
No different than cheating, no different than gluttony. Sin is sin in the eyes of a holy God. You hear me? Sin is sin in the eyes of a holy God. And so maybe you've had an abortion, maybe you've funded an abortion, encouraged or coerced someone uh, down that road, or uh, you've participated in that. And so what I want to say is this, is there's another truth that, that comes with that reality that I think is much, much deeper. And we're going to look at, here, look at that here shortly. But it's this, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so what I know about this place here at New Life is that we are a place that is made up of messed up people. We don't walk in here proudly this morning. We, we, if anything, at best crawl into this place, and it's by God's grace that we can stand and walk and be anything. And so uh, that's what I know about this place. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has messed up, and we have blown it. So we always want to celebrate who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, especially in the lives of his people. And the greatest thing that he does is forgive sin is he makes righteous and he makes holy people. That's what God does. And so this sin, if, if that's the, the reality about where you've been, as well as any sin, you're not disqualified from the kingdom of God. You can enter into relationship with Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness is bigger than any sin that you've ever committed. Any sin that you've ever committed. And so I would just encourage you to lean into him, lean into him. And so we always want to partner with, with nonprofits like this or ministries like the CPC to help raise funds so they can continue to love, educate, reach women that are struggling in this area, as well as they do the same thing for men. They've got a program now where they, they help educate men, they help educate families, they walk alongside men and raise them up and teach them what it means to be a godly man. A godly husband, a godly daddy, all the while doing the same thing with the women, help, help them uh, raise up to be godly women, godly wives, godly mothers. And so we want to partner with pro-life ministries, ministries that are serious about the sanctity of what life is. And so we always want to fight for those who have no voice, all the while extending mercy, grace, and love to those who have messed up, no matter what the sin is. So whether you've participated in abortion, whether you've had those thoughts, whether you've uh, not at all or walked with someone who has, we just want you to know, man, that this is a place where it gets messy, but what we know is that the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ is far, far greater than that. So the conversation that I got to have Monday was a conversation that was good for me. It was a conversation that reminded me and brought me back because it set me up for the conversation I had Sunday at the lunch table with my wife. Because Boo, she, she's in that field. She's in, she works at an OBGYN office. She does ultrasound. She's around that. And she's like, look, dude, we need to talk. And, and, and I don't care to get scolded by you guys. But when, when, when Meredith scolds me, that's a little different. I'm like, well, what I do? She's like, you, mm, sir, you messed up. I'm like, did I? What, what happened? What did I say? And she told me. And I was like, oh, you're right. We've had this conversation, Scott. I'm like, I know. So I tucked my tail and I apologized and I said, I will make this right. I will make this right. Um, so again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for calling me and loving me that way. And so uh, we are four weeks into our new series that's gonna lead us up to Easter. Uh, we're just looking at the different uh, uh, things of our faith, the different beliefs of our faith, the practices of our faith. And so it's us just getting back to the basics. It's us just refocusing in on what's important uh, because it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to sway. And so the first two weeks of this series, we just looked at God's word. Uh, we looked at where God's word came from. We looked at how we, we've got it over uh, three continents, over 1,500 years. 40 different authors and so we just dove into that hardcore for two weeks and then uh, last week we looked at God 
We looked at how, he can, uh, how we can know God, why it's important to know God, and then we ended last week with looking at his attributes, who he is, and we just scratched the surface of that. And so my task today is to give you Jesus, is to tell you about Jesus and look at the scriptures of who Jesus was. And so I've got 30 to 40 minutes again uh, to give you the totality of who Christ is. Wasn't funny last week. I don't know why I went for it twice. Anyways, okay, so let's do this. I'm going to ask you if you'd join me as we pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, Matthew 16 here in a moment. Father, help us this morning hear what you have to say. God, help us this morning to uh, be in tune and aware of. And so, Father, I know the, the very thing that I even opened up with this morning and shared uh, is a very heavy, weighty uh, reality. But, Father, I just, my prayer and my hope is this, is that the men and women in this room would hear of the seriousness of life. And, and Father, if there has been sin or if there has been mess up, there has been struggle, Father God, that your grace and your mercy would set free the captive. Father, regardless of what that sin is. So Father, we thank you of the promise of new life. We thank you of the promise of salvation. We thank you of the promise of conviction. God, we thank you of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Father, we just pray you work and move in this place this morning. Jesus, help us hear from you. God, soften the hardest heart. God, rescue the one wandering in the wilderness in sin. Father, I pray you rescue and redeem. Jesus, we love you, we need you. In your name we pray, amen. Matthew 16, 13. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen or in the app. And so I just want to uh, look at this for a second, this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And he asks them a very heavy question. And then after we look at that question, we're just going to touch on it. And then we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. We're going to answer that question. Then we're going to end with the very question that Jesus asked. So Matthew 16, 13 says this. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I mean, pretty good question, right? Uh, who's everybody saying that I am? That's what Jesus is asking. Who do they say that I am? And so uh, the disciples respond and say this. Some say that you're uh, John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. And the others say that you are uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they say, hey, you're, you're these old, old guys that have been uh, murdered. You're, you're back. That's, that's who you are. And, and then he pauses and he looks at them and he says this in verse 15. He says to them, but who do you say that I am. This is what everybody else is saying, but who do you say that I am? And I guess the question for me is not so much asking you that question, but I'm more interested in those that know you best. Who would they say that you say Jesus is by the way that you live your life? How would they respond to that? Because what I've learned in my life and what I've learned in the reality of life is this, is that we always like to view ourselves or look at ourselves probably a little bit better than we really are. And so what I've learned and what I've seen just in our world is, is that we are very uh, moralistic, therapeutic deists. Uh, that would be a great way to describe our, our culture, our world, maybe even the church today is moral therapeutic deists. And what I mean by that is this, is that, is that we have morals we believe in a, a good and a bad, a right and the wrong, and we'll try our best to obey the rules and do the best we can. We're, we're moral people. We've got morals. And then we're therapeutic, very narcissistic, are we not, our culture and our world? Um, and so we're very all about us, narcissistic, me, 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 my, 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 what makes me feel better? We're very therapeutic, moral therapeutic. We're therapeutic. We, we like to have our ego stoked. We like to have um, our, our affections be the utmost of all the affections um, uh, if it makes me happy. And you even see that played out in church world a lot. Why do a lot of people go to churches? Well, because it makes me feel good 
makes me feel happy. Um, and so uh, that, just a very driving force in our culture and in our world. We deserve, we deserve. We're very therapeutic. And then um, moral therapeutic, and then we're deists. We believe that there's a God that created all this, but then this God that created all this has stepped out, and now he just lets us be and do. And we're good with God as long as he doesn't interrupt us, doesn't frustrate us, doesn't uh, require, ask of us to do stuff that, doesn't, uh, that, that makes us feel uncomfortable or makes us do stuff that, uh, that we just don't like or we just don't want to. We're good with God as long as he heals granny when she gets sick or this horrific thing happening in our life. If he'll just take care of it and do something with it, we're good with God. But the moment that he requires or he expects more out of me than I'm willing to give, uh, I just don't know if it's for me. And so that's just the heartbeat of our world. That's just the culture of, of this world that we live in. We have made Jesus this nice, good buddy that's going to uh, do a bunch of stuff for us and give us stuff that he's never promised to give and do stuff for us that he's never promised to do. And we're good with him as long as he does that. But the moment that he stops or he ceases to do that, then I've got a problem with him. And my fear is that we've got the wrong view of who Jesus is. My fear is that we don't understand who we're talking about when we talk about Jesus, when we sing songs about who Jesus is. And so my hope and my prayer today is that, is that I show you exactly who Christ is, God in the flesh, and what ramifications that has on us. So let's look at Hebrews 1, 1, 1 through 3. And some of this is just kind of uh, catch up from, from a few weeks ago. But uh, for us to know anything about God, he reveals himself to us. He makes himself known to us. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And so every religion is, is um, a man's attempt to discover God. But the sweet thing about Christianity is know that it's God busting into our scene. God comes and visits us and makes himself known amongst us. We don't have to go looking for him, but he comes here. And so Hebrews 1, 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so we know God because he speaks and he reveals himself. And so the scriptures are woven so nicely together with unity and precision, and they tell us truly who God is. And so the, the scriptures that we have are made of two testaments. You've got the Old Testament, which is just promises made, and you've got the New Testament, which is promises fulfilled. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. And when we look at Jesus, it's this promise fulfilled of the coming Redeemer, the coming Messiah, the one that's going to come, rescue, redeem, and make right everything that sin has fractured. So the scriptures make fallen creation aware of God and his glory. Verse 2, it says, But in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son. The he here is God. In the last days God has spoken to us by his Son. Who is his Son? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's who we're looking at. Jesus is the second person of the twin Trinity. The Trinity, the trilogy, <laughs> whatever. The Trinity. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And he's equal with God the Father in nature. And so Jesus is God and man all at the same time. And I don't get that. My mind cannot go there and grasp that. Yet he is one person forever. Jesus. I just want to read you a scripture real quick out of Luke. This is the birth of Jesus foretold. So what we know about Jesus is Jesus is born of a virgin. So he comes and he is not born by man. So he's not entered into the world like you and I have entered into the world. His father is God. And so it says in the sixth month, this is Luke chapter one, in the sixth month, the month, uh, uh, angel, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed. So she's promised to a man whose name was Joseph of the household of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern the sort of greeting uh, this might be. Perfect response when an angel shows up, that people freak out. 
That's how you know. I mean, that's, this is God moving here, doing something. And the angel, verse 30, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Listen to how he describes this, this baby, what he'll be. He will be mighty, he will be great, and he will uh, be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So what we see is Jesus is born like none other. No, no one else in this room is born that way. God gives Jesus in Mary. Virgin birth, and then what we know about Jesus is he lives a sinless life, perfect life, no sin, no blemish. We know that he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins, and then he's resurrected on the third day. So Jesus is like none that we've ever known, none we've ever seen. Why? Because he is God in the flesh. So why do we believe that Jesus is God? One, he claimed it and he did what he claimed. Jesus says that he was, and then the things that Jesus said, he did. He fulfilled, he lived out, he was the second reason why we know that, that Jesus or we believe that Jesus is God is because he has all the attributes of God. You see the attributes that we talked about last week present in Jesus. He knows all things. I mean, I mean, I've joked around about this forever, haven't I? You just can't be around the guy and him not read what you're thinking. Him hear your very thoughts. I mean, I mean he knows and he is aware. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. He depends on nothing outside of himself for life. He, he rules over everything. He never began to exist and he will never cease to exist. He's a creator, our creator. Well, because what we know from the scriptures is that everything that God is, Jesus is. For Jesus is God. Another reason why we believe that Jesus is God is because he died and he was resurrected back to life. Not resuscitated. He wasn't just beat up. It was funny, I was having a conversation this week with my brother-in-law and we, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, that, that Jesus wasn't just worked over a little bit, but no, that, that he, was, he was murdered Jesus was physically murdered, put in the grave three days, and he resurrects, comes back to life. That, that he wasn't just hurt and beat up, but that he was, he was murdered. The, the Romans were, were highly trained in execution, highly trained in the crucifixion. And if you read the accounts, you read the story, you see that play out right before you. So Jesus died and he was resurrected. I think another, just for me, a convincing reality why we believe that Jesus is God. Anybody got any brothers and sisters? Like you got a brother and sister? Yeah, yeah, maybe you're close, maybe you're not close. Let me ask you, what would it take for you to bow down and worship them? Oh, yeah, that's what I like to hear. You're right. Amanda, honey, baby, I love you, sis, but uh-uh, that ain't happening. Do you know how that would happen if you die and you come back to life? And I don't mean like, like one of these like 30-second like things. They bring out the pads and they shock you in your back. No, I'm, like, I'm three days dead. Three, three days dead in the grave. Now you've got a compelling argument. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus, is it not? That's exactly what happens with his half-brother, James. The, the Christian faith tells us that Christian history tells us that, that, that James is, is threatened and he's taken on the Temple Mount and he's thrown off. If he doesn't recant, they're going to kill him and they throw him off and he still doesn't recant. And so what do they do? They beat him to death. I don't know what it would take for your brother or for your sister to die for you. And not just like for a good cause, but because you are God in the flesh. And so I just, I just cannot get around that reality. So God fully expresses himself in his son. Jesus takes on flesh and blood. And what does he do? He shows us God in the flesh. God comes. And so I want to press you this morning that Jesus is God. 
or he isn't. You've got to make that decision. You've got to figure out and you've got to land at one of those places. Either he is or he isn't. And hear me, church, you will have to walk away from this place this morning with a response to that. Either accept and believe or walk away and deny and reject. And so I just want to look for a moment throughout the rest of this scripture of what Jesus is. The first thing that we see Jesus is, Jesus is an heir. Jesus is an heir. As the verse continues, it says, whom he appointed heir of all things. God appointed Jesus heir of all things. So Jesus is the son of God. Then he is an heir of all things that God possesses. He gets and will have and receive an inheritance that will, that, that will give him everything that God has. Everything that God is. That's what Jesus gets. Psalm 89, 27 says it like this. I also shall make him firstborn. This is God. I also shall make him firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. See, when it refers to Jesus here as firstborn, it's not the created one. That's not what the psalmist is talking about here. It means legal rights. It means one who receives the inheritance and has the authority. And we see this over Matthew 28, don't we? Jesus makes that claim. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Everywhere, he says. Jesus has the authority. He has the right to act and do as he wills. So Jesus is an heir. He has purchased us, and so that makes us joint heirs with him. We've been adopted in. So this marvelous inheritance that he speaks of, that he talks about throughout the scriptures, everything that Jesus has for us as adopted sons and daughters, we have access to. I mean, who doesn't want riches of the king, right? Who, who doesn't want what Christ has? And so as being his, we have that. We have access to his kingdom. We will have all that Jesus has and is. The second thing that we want to look at in this scripture is this, is that Jesus is creator. Jesus is creator. It says, through whom he also, he created the world. Through whom he also, he created the world and so one of the greatest proofs that Jesus is God is his ability to create. His ability to create. I mean, look at it. The universe, time, space, energy, matter. Jesus is a part of all of that. Let, let, me, let me prove to you real fast just from the scriptures. John chapter 1, 1, if you have your Bible. John 1, 1 is a beautiful scripture that gives us insight to this. It says this is, in the beginning was the word. The word we're going to find out here in a moment. That's a capital W. It's going to be Jesus. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So God accredits this word that he's talking about being God. It says he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made that was made. And in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1.14 it says this, and the word became flesh. Boom, there it is. This word becomes flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen the glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is that? That's Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was there as creator. He was a part of that. The Trinity was there as God creates and speaks into existence. Let me give you a quote. This, this a scientist, A.K. Morrison, this is what he says. He says, the conditions for life on earth demand so many billions of minutes, interrelated circumstances appearing simultaneously in the same moment that such a prospect becomes beyond belief and beyond possibility. He says there's no way that all that stuff can happen. That's what he's saying. That what you and I see today, that what you and I have today is not an accident. I read last week, and I want to read it again just so we can kind of get our, get our mind around this, grasp this for a moment, just our universe. If we could put 1.2 million Earths inside the sun, we'd still have room for 4.3 million moons. 
I mean, get, get, get a picture of the vastness and the size of that. The sun is 865,000 miles in diameter, 93 million miles from Earth. The moon is 211, 463 miles away. That would take 27 years to walk there. The North Star, the brightest star, 400 trillion miles away. And God speaks and they come into existence. Let's look for a moment, just a second, as, as Eric even made mention of it this morning, didn't even know this, the human body for a second. See, we get one cell from our mother, one cell from our father, and that gives us 23 chromosomes each. And it forms our unique DNA, our, 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 who we are, our DNA code. And it's estimated that if you took the DNA from one cell and stretched it out, it would, it would be six feet long. The DNA from one cell, six feet, about as tall as I am. Listen to this. Reading one character per second of your DNA. One character per second of your DNA. And if you read it for 24 hours a day, it would take you 96 years to read it all. I can't even grasp that. Uh, I, I, I can't even... I can't even begin to fathom. So Jesus created all of that. Jesus speaks and makes as the triune God, and it happens. The next thing I want to look at is this, is that Jesus is God's radiance. Jesus is God's radiance. Verse 3, it says this. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Radius just simply means to send forth light. Jesus is the manifestation of God. He's God made known. He expresses God to us. Jesus is the very reflection of God. That's what this scripture is saying. Three one say, or uh, one three says that. And so glory, whenever it says this, that he is the radiance of the glory. He's the reflection of the glory of God. And so glory is just God's holiness made, made known to us. It's us seeing and beholding uh, the holiness of God. And so what we see in this scripture is Jesus is God's radiance. He's a reflection of God's holiness. You want to know the standard that God has? Look to Jesus. You want to know how to respond to something? Look to Jesus because that's how God would respond. Why? Because Jesus is God. He's the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact, he, he's the exact replica. And so I was just looking and, and reading this week, and I don't know how much you know about the moon and the creation, but, but the moon shines because its surface, what it does is it reflects light from the sun. The moon well, it doesn't glow itself, but it's not self-sustaining like that, but it, it glows because of the light from the sun. And what I found out is that the moon really only reflects about 3 to 12% of the sunlight that hits it. That's it. 3 to 12% of the sunlight that hits it. That's all that it gives us from that glow. But not Jesus. What do we know about Jesus? Jesus reflects 100% of the nature and character and the holiness of our God. Why? Because he is the radiance of the glory of God. The next thing I want to look at in this verse, in verse 3, it says that this is that Jesus is God's imprint. Jesus is God's imprint. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He's the exact representation, impression uh, that's made by dye or a stamp or a seal is the picture that's given here. It, it, was, it was a couple months ago, and I um, was just having problems with my contacts. And so when you have problems with your contacts, what you do is you just wear your glasses. And so I put my glasses on, and I think it was a Wednesday night. And I come uh, walking back through the hallway, and as I do, I'm back there in the youth room. I can't remember if I was looking for Tyler or what it was, just seeing it was a Wednesday night before service got started, just, just checking everything out. And as I'm walking back through there, I come around the corner, and Blake's like, whoa. I said, hey. I don't usually get that greeting from many people. Okay, I don't ever get that greeting from people. And so he looks at me, and he's just taken back for a second. He's like, oh, my gosh. I said, yes, Blake. 
He said, I see Brody in 20 years. I said, he's a good looking kid, isn't he? And he never responded. But as I read that, that's what I think of. If I throw glasses on, you're gonna say, who, Brody? Why? Because he's an imprint of me. And it's so crazy as a little guy develops and becomes, I am really learning that I've got some problems because I just see me and him or him and me. Like, like there's things that he does and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is it? And I'm like, that's me. God, help us. Help him. His mom's stuck, but help him. But it's... And as I read that, I just see that the exact imprint. I, I don't, he's not the exact imprint, but, but that's what I'm talking about. Jesus is God is what that means. He is the perfect personal imprint of God. The exact imprint of his nature, what God is like. That's what you see in Jesus. The next thing that we see in this scripture is that Jesus is power. Jesus is power, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. As Eric was saying this morning. He is sustaining, he supports, he maintains. It's used in the present tense, implying a continuous action. He upholds the universe. Everything in this created world stays just like it is because Jesus tells it to. So the atoms, all of that stuff, who we are, it stays exactly like it's supposed to. Why? Because Jesus says to stay and be. Upholds the universe by the power of his word. I mean, imagine, imagine for a moment if Jesus was to relinquish that power, it would be destroyed. Let me try to illustrate. Do you know that the sun has a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees? Surface temperature. 12,000. If it was any closer, we would fry. If it was any further away, we would freeze to death. Did you know that the earth's tilt is at 23 degrees, which gives us four seasons? If it wasn't tempted, then what would happen is the vapors from the ocean would move north and south and develop into monstrous continents of ice. Did you know that the moon, if it was closer, we would have huge tidal waves twice a day and it would destroy our land? The ocean's depth, if it were just a few feet deeper, the carbon dioxide that would be released would make it impossible for life to exist. Why is it not deeper? Why does the moon not just shift all of a sudden? Why does the sun not get hotter or burn out? It's because it is upheld by the power of his word. Jesus upholds this word. His power maintains all of this. Jesus just speaks and it happens. I, I mean, I'm just fascinated sometimes by like, 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 like I, we've watched like um, live PD and stuff like that. And like, like I really like it when they turn the dogs loose. That's just fun. I don't know why I like to see people get bit by a dog, but um, well, it's bad guys, not everybody, okay? It's bad guys. And so, so I see um, like, like these bad guys are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and like the, dog, the guy's like, sick him, butch, and he goes after him. And he takes him down. And the dog, like the dog is willing to die. It's willing to sacrifice its life for until the officer says, all right, Butch, here, buddy, heal. And it comes back and it heals. And that dog won't move until he gives it a command or a look. I mean, that's, that's a dog. And it listens like that. Now think for a moment, our God, our creator, think for a moment, Jesus. Jesus has told them, you hang right there and don't you move. You tilt that way and don't you dare move. Ocean, you be that deep and you stop. 
waves, you only come this far and you quit. And what does it do? It listens. It stays right there. Why? Because of his word, his power. The next thing I want to look at in this verse is this. In verse 3 it says uh, that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Church, this is good news. This is the great news of the gospel being laid out before us. It said, and after making purification for sin, this changes everything about Jesus for us. Yes, he's powerful. Yes, he's everlasting. Yes, he's all-sustaining. Yes, he's God's imprint. But listen at what he does for us. He makes purification for sin. This changes everything. Everything. It shows his great love for us. What do we learn about in the scripture? It says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. What we do, the penalty due for our sin, something that we have worked so hard to earn, the wages of sin, the earning of sin is what is death. Physical and spiritual. That's what we've worked so hard for. That's what we get as a result of our sin. Something has to die. Something has to die. And so what do we know about Jesus? Jesus says that, here I am, I'll do it. Jesus steps up and he becomes that sacrifice to do what? To purify us from sin, to make us clean. The death that we deserve, Jesus takes for us. Jesus takes for us. I mean, there's very few people that I would die for. And and to think about that for a moment, that Jesus dies, not for those who's gonna love him, but Jesus dies for those in that moment who despise and hate him. You didn't come out loving Jesus. There was a moment in your life where the Holy Spirit awakened in you this reality of your need for Christ, this reality of your need for salvation. God awakens that reality in you, and then in that moment, you step in through faith into a relationship with God through Jesus. You didn't just come in here loving him. And I don't care how nice and pretty and how, how long you've been in church or been around church, but that's not your story. No, you are an enemy of the cross the scriptures teach. You despised him. And though maybe you didn't say it like that or maybe you didn't act it out like that. Maybe you were nice and uh, neat and a dignified sinner and lost person. But, but you were an enemy to the cross of Christ. And what does he do? He dies on that cross for you and I. Not in our current state of being his, but in the state of being an enemy. Jesus says, I'll take him. But they don't love you. They don't want you. Yet, but, but I'll take him. I'm willing to lay down my life even in spite of. And he becomes our shame and our sin, putting it upon himself. And so Jesus makes a way. He is making purification for our sins. He purchases us by way of his blood. Jesus becomes and does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And the last thing we'll look at in this verse is this, is that Jesus is God's exaltation. Jesus is God's exaltation. Listen to what it says here. It says, he sat down at the right hand of of the majesty on high. And so this is a big deal, the fact that Jesus sits down. This is a huge contrast to the the priestly procedure under the old covenant. Very, very different. See, there's no seat in the tabernacle or or temple. It would not be appropriate for him to sit down. Why? Because he would do what? Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Constantly sacrificing is what the priest was doing. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because he had to make purification for sin. He had to cover our sin and how he did that was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But not Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus offered one and only sacrifice and he says it is finished and then he sat down with the Father. There's no more need for sacrifice. There will never be another sacrifice needed. We don't need to spill the blood. 
Why? Because the blood of the one that needs to be spilled, the one that can make us clean and holy and pure, has been spilled for us. It was done through Jesus. Jesus accomplished in one sacrifice what could never be done in a million other sacrifices. He's God's exaltation. And what this does is it signifies honor. It signifies authority. It signifies rest. It shows us his intercession for us. That's what Jesus did. So what I want you to do is flip back over to Matthew 16 for a moment. Matthew 16, 15. So Jesus just gets finished asking his disciples, who does everybody say that I am? And they give him all these answers of these old prophets that have, that have died and have went on. And then Jesus says this to them, Matthew 16, 15. But who do you say that I am? The very question that I started with, I want to end with. But who do you say Jesus is? Hebrews explains it perfectly. Hebrews shows us exactly who Jesus Christ is. He is the living Son of God. And that's what Peter is going to say here as he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the one that, that is king. You are the one that rules and reigns. You are the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. You have come to take away the sin of man. You are the Christ. So who do you say Jesus is? C.S. Lewis, just this, this brilliant mind of our time, medieval um, literature guy. And, and this, is, this is what he says. I want to read a quote from him, C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've read some of his stuff or maybe seen some movies from some of his books. But, but this is what C.S. Lewis says. And, and, and I, I intro him that way because, I mean, he's just a brilliant, brilliant mind. He says this. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That is Jesus. So he's trying to, to help educate us, trying to help us not say the really foolish thing that we sometimes say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is... That is the one thing we must not say. A, a man who, who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says that he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Neither did he intend for it to be. What C.S. Lewis says is this. Either Jesus is a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Either Jesus is a lunatic a liar, or he is in fact Lord of all. And the decision is what we have to make. So my question for you this morning, church, is this, as the band comes back, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And the reality is this, you've answered that question all week, whether you've realized it or not, by the way that you live your life, by the things that you say, by the ways that, that you respond to certain stuff that happens. I mean, you've been responding all day, every day to the fact and the reality of who Jesus Christ truly is. And my question is, do you see him as Hebrews chapter 1 describes him? Not just some good moral teacher, not just some man. Uh, C.S. Lewis says that's foolishness. If anybody was to bust on the scenes and make the claims that Jesus made, we would have them hauled away. Well, because they're a crazy man. 
So he can't go down that road. He's not a good moral teacher. I mean, nothing about what he said is good and moral. He is God, bow down and worship me. I've come to take away the sin of man. He's a crazy madman. Or he is exactly who he says he is. And he's Lord. So is Jesus the Christ of your life? The son of the living God. He's either that or he's nothing. He, he's either everything or he's nothing. But like you don't get him as savior, not as Lord. It doesn't, you don't just get rescued from hell and go to heaven and okay, Jesus, I'll see you when I get there. No, 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 no. Either he is Lord of your life or he's nothing. Lord and savior is what the scriptures teach. That he is God of the universe and flesh. He has all authority and all right to speak and to say and to require holiness from us. And so church, my question is, how have you answered that this week? How have you answered who Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? And lip service is not good enough, right? It's so easy in our world to put a cute little post up or say a nice little thing or quote some other cool guy in history about what they say about Jesus and get a thousand likes. Like, yeah, that's it. And it's kind of just exactly like what you said, brother. When you breathe your last breath, it doesn't matter what a preacher says, it doesn't matter about what a spouse or some kids say, the question, the question is, what is Jesus going to say? Who have you said that he is? Have you made him Lord of your life, Savior of your life? Or is he just a buddy, just a guy that you kind of give an hour or two here or there? Church, when we look at the book of Hebrews and we see exactly how the author intends for us to see who Jesus Christ is, all or nothing, all or nothing. So may this week with your life, may you exclaim, he is the Christ the living Son of God by the way that you act, by the way that you react, by the intentionality of conversations you have, by the way that you pray, by the way that you tell people of Jesus, by the way that you serve those that don't deserve to be served, by the way that you give to those who don't deserve to be given to. May you exclaim, He is the Christ, the living Son of God. And I would urge you here this morning not to leave this place in any other condition than knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Christ the king of all, the redeemer of the soul, the one that's made purification for our sin. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I would love more than nothing to talk to you about that. I beg of you, if Christ stirs in your heart this morning this great need for him, oh, would you believe? Would you come to him? Father, we need you. We thank you for this morning, for this time in your word. God, speak to heart. Save the lost in this room. Show us. May they see truly who you are, all of us in this room. And may we respond appropriately. Jesus, we love you. We need your name. We pray. Amen. If you'd stand, Eric's going to sing. You respond as, as God puts on your heart.